0: hello welcome back to the podcast everyone hope you guys are doing well today today's discussion is going to be around provenance uh even more now than ever i think provenance has become an extremely important part of watch collecting um some may say that it's actually eclipped, um some of the other attributes that collectors look at when they're looking to buy vintage watches and so i kind of wanted to discuss the idea of provenance how it can be tricky but how there are other ways that you can actually enjoy provenance in vintage watch collecting. Um, I think this also goes for modern watch collecting, but it's a little bit easier with vintage watch collecting um, as you sort of do your research on pieces and and, um, identify the watches that may be interesting, interesting for your collection. So at its core, I think vintage watch collectors look for many attributes when they're looking at buying uh, pieces. I think this goes for modern, but I'm going to speak about this in terms of uh, vintage watches for the most part. So, um, a couple of the factors that really people look at are things like, um, obviously, uh, reference refer- specific reference numbers that are historic in a brand's history. Um, brands that may be produced watches in limited quantities um, are are two things that people may consider. I think something that's spoken about a lot is obviously condition. I think condition, I've spoken about this previously, is a spectrum. So some people want something that is completely untouched, completely unworn, like it came from the retailer. Um, but then some other people kind of like a watch that might be um, a little bit beat up and might show its age and the adventures that it's been on. There's a third diameter here, or dimension here that some people might also look at which is they don't really mind restoration on a watch um, as long as it's done well and they want it to look as in in pristine condition as possible. So if their watch is perhaps polished what it looks like, it's completely new. That's something that they really enjoy seeing. One of the attributes as well that people look at is provenance. Uh, Provenance in where the watch came, who was the previous owner, how many owners the watches had, and those types of Considerations um, when it comes to these pieces, and I think the last New York City watch, the last sort of round of watch auctions, sort of exemplified this. So, as an example, a couple of the pieces that we saw were fresh to market. We saw a fresh to market Patek Philippe reference uh, 1436. Um, we saw a fresh to market reference 3448. Um, both of those were sold at Phillips. Um, we spoke about these in our New York Watch auction preview, actually. So, if you want to go back to episode 137 or the episode that we released on June 6, you can check that out. Um, but there are other pieces that sold that had to do with provenance. So, as an example, there was a Patek Philippe pocket watch from, 19, from 1895 that was owned by Alfred G. Stein, who was an individual who worked for Patek Philippe. Another example is the Speedmaster. Apollo thirteen that belonged to John or Jack um, Swigert Jr. I think one of the most historic ones that we covered on our on our website, an article and a video, was um, the Patek Philippe that belonged to the last emperor of China. These watches are obviously historic because you can really point to the person who wore them. You can point to who had this watch on their wrist, the lives that they lived, and um, that was a huge um, huge piece of information that the watch carries but other ways that provenance are important is some people really like original owner watches they want watches that came from the original family or or belong to the original owner they don't like pieces that maybe um that maybe have traded hands a bunch of times and then you sort of lose the 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 background of the piece and where it's kind of been over its lifetime The biggest problem with provenance is it's sometimes very hard to track. If you don't have watches that are historically significant, like the pieces that I mentioned, or have original documentation that shows the hands that these watches went through, it can be difficult to prove. Um, But I think more and more, this is becoming an extremely important attribute for people who collect watches. I think condition for a while has been something that was at the forefront of collectors' minds, and I think it still is. But I now think that more and more provenance is extremely important. Now, for an average collector, you might not have access to some of these original order 1436s or, um, you know, a, a patek fleet that, that belonged to the, the last emperor of China. Um, that could be because it's just not a bracket you play in. Um, it could be because these pieces, once sold, don't really trade hands very often. Um, so it, it's, it's sometime, uh, sometimes unattainable for many people in, in, who are interested in collecting watches. But I think that there is an angle that you can come at watches and really enjoy um, their, um, their provenance in a, in a different way. And that's where you find watches that either have a really well-tracked history, and you can speak to the individual who owns it, and they can really point to exactly where the watch has been over its lifetime, or you can look at pieces that have engravings on the caseback or on the watches themselves that kind of tell a story on their own. Interestingly, we have three watches in that um, have these engravings, and it's quite interesting to, to own them, to research the watches and understand really the, the life that they've lived and where they came from. Um, and so I'm going to talk through three of them and kind of show you how they can be really, really interesting um, interesting pieces of history um, related to these pieces that can get at the idea of provenance from a watch collector's perspective and kind of add value, in my opinion, for those specific watches. Even more importantly, I think these inscriptions actually add some fun to the collecting of them, of the, these pieces. Um, sometimes watch collecting can feel a little stale. Um, and I think these are a great way that you can actually enjoy uh, watches in a different dimension because you'll be researching them in different ways, understanding their history, and daydreaming about where these watches were. I'll start off with a watch that you've probably seen on the Life on the Wrist Instagram quite a bit, um, and that is um, an Omega chronograph uh, reference um, 2279 uh, that... Uh, has a pretty cool history um, history to it. So if you don't know, the reference 2279 is a stainless steel chronograph, 35 millimeters, and runs in the caliber 321 manual line movement, which is what was used in the original Speedmasters. Um, I encourage you to check out the links in the, in the show notes if you want to see some pictures of this piece. Obviously, we're going to c- cover it in an article, so um, stay tuned for that. But um, I encourage you to take a look at some pictures because it really is a is a is a beautiful chronograph. But if you flip the watch over and you look at the case back um, there is a dedication to an O.B. Roberts and it says O.B. Roberts Logan Boone Mingo Area B.S.A. 1942-1953. So this watch was according to the serial originally manufactured in 1950 um, but you can see the date on this was 1942-1953 so you can probably guess that this was um, sold in 1953. What's really cool is if you look up the Logan Boone Mingo area um, and if you know anything about what BSA would stand for, the Logan Boone Mingo area is a, actually a Boy Scouts Council in West Virginia. Now I wasn't able to find who OB Roberts was related to this Boy Scouts Council, but based on the amount of years that he spent in, with, this, um, with this council, he likely wasn't a scout in a troop in this, in this area. Um, and I know I'm speaking a little bit more to the people who know about Boy Scouts, but um, typically you're in the you're in Boy Scouts, or I think it's now called Scouts, for uh, nine years if you're involved in the programs. So it's likely that Obie Roberts was a parent, a contributor to this to this council, who spent eleven years um, helping this council and and all the the, the boys who were um, involved in in this Boy Scouts council during this time now i know that maybe if you don't know anything about boy scouts this isn't really significant to you but this does tell you a little bit more about this piece i think you know that it was manufactured in 1950 based on the serial numbers and you know it probably took three years to sell based on the year that this was likely gifted which was 1953 which is probably the end of the time that this individual ob roberts was involved in this council um it's also pretty nice to think that this watch was a gift this watch was gifted to someone who did a lot of good. I think Boy Scouts does it really, did a lot of good during this time period. And so I think that adds some significance to this piece, whether you're into Boy Scouts, whether you're into chronographs, whether you're into 1950s time period of watches, there is some significance that this, this, um, that this inscription has, and it kind of adds a little bit of value to it because you know just a few more things about this piece just based on that inscription. Inscriptions are, I think, polarizing. Some people love them, some people hate them. Um, but again, I think this is a great example of how how this can add uh, some sto- some context and some stories to the watches that you might be wearing on your wrist. I'll move on to the second piece, which is another Omega. It's the reference 1660117. Um, This watch was manufactured in 1972, and it's a gold-plated 35mm Day-Date automatic watch from from Omega. Now, what's unique about this piece is the condition that it's in. As I mentioned, condition is a spectrum, but this one certainly is on the side of... uh, It shows its age. It's got some interesting oxidation to the the watch. Um, But if you want to know about um all original this is exactly it if you take a loop to this watch you can actually still see the omega logo on the original crystal which i think is fairly significant for this piece but we're not really talking about condition we really want to focus on provenance and so if you look at this watch you see this very interesting logo towards the 6 o'clock um 6 o'clock of the of the dial now i know not everyone is um a uh enthusiast of uh, american baseball i wouldn't count myself as someone who's interested in it but i do know i do know sort of maybe some of the logos and i'd say that when i look at this i think of the chicago cubs but when you turn the watch over this watch has a really beautiful hand engraved dedication that says for loyal service peanut heinous 1974 continental canco inc so, again, you can piece together some stories here just by this inscription. The first is that there, the individual who was gifted this watch originally had a nickname of Peanut, which I think is a really unique, cool, uh, kind of fun attribute of this watch. You know that this watch was gifted in 1974, so manufactured in 1972, gifted in 1974, so it's likely that this watch sold two years after it was Um, manufactured and you know that this went to an individual who worked for the Continental Canco Inc. This is a company that was based I think in the US somewhere in the Midwest Um, and based on its condition this likely was with Peanut for the duration of his life it likely has not seen the inside of an Omega service center because of its originality and I think that is just absolutely romantic to the right per- the right collector. Um, it would be cool if this one had how many years? Peanut ha- Haynes actually worked for Continental Canco, but we know that it was for loyal service, so it was likely for a long time. This tradition of gifting watches after working for a company was very common um, many years ago, and I don't think it's as common now, but to get a watch of such quality for your service I think is a fitting gift and something that I wish more and more companies did. So another flavor of what an inscription and really understanding the provenance of a watch, how that adds to, um, adds to the value of, of a specific piece. Um, and it's just another story that you can tell when you have this watch on your wrist and you can, if someone asks about it, you can kind of point to the, to the specific story. The last watch I wanted to discuss from was from uh, Gigi Coultre. We actually are going to be writing about this watch for our article tomorrow, so uh, stay tuned for our video and article if you want to read m- more in depth about this piece. But this watch also has a little bit of provenance added to it. So um, there's a link in the show notes if you want to check out the, some pictures of this watch, but essentially this is a stainless steel, uh, time-only piece from Gigi in with a white cream dial gold applied applied hour markers that really is a beautiful watch from 1961. It's running on one of the most impressive movements that they made during this time period, the K478-C manual line movement, which um, was very close to the 479 um, manual movement that was actually fitted in the um, JLC pilot watches that were delivered to the British RAF in 1945. This was obviously a little bit after that, 1961, so you're looking at about um, 16 years after that actually happened. But this 33 millimeter case is in really, really great condition and is one of the reasons why um, why I, I really do love this piece. Now, of course, if you turn this watch over, you see this really beautiful inscription that says 1961, D. Tracy, over 40 years with C.S. Milna and Co. Limited. Um, this inscription is another example of how romantic this watch can actually get. So, it's likely that this inscription points to the idea that this watch was gifted to A. D. Tracy um, for working 40 years with a company named um, C. S. Milner Co. Limited. Now, doing a little bit of research, um, it's the the company uh, C. S. Milner Co was a company that was located in Deptford, South London, in the United Kingdom. And so it's likely that this piece was sold uh, in, the United, in, the U, uh, in the UK market, which is another piece of provenance that you can, can you not know. Right now this watch is located in, the, in the, the USA, and so you know that it somehow came from the United Kingdom over to the USA. Um, if you look up this company um, you 'll actually find that it was a company that specialized in welding and cutting industrial materials and they also made these uh, gas carbide bicycle lamps and tools and for uh, there, are, there i didn 't actually know that there was a market for this, but gas and oil lamp collectors are really into these into this company 's um, products, and so I think that 's really a cool thing to think about. So, you understand who this watch was gifted to. You understand how long they worked for the company and the company that a little bit about the company that um, this individual worked for, and probably where the person lived, which was south london um, when they when they got this watch but something that 's even cooler when you have these years is to think about what happened when when this person got the watch or what happened when this person started working there. Forty years with the company is essentially unheard of nowadays. And so, first off, um that's an incredible amount of years for this person to have to have worked for the company, but then you put yourself in the shoes of that person when they started with c s & co nineteen twenty one that was just after World War one had ended and if you think about all the current events that happened, it's really it really romanticizes the watch so much and I think adds a lot of value to it. Just to name a couple of things, and I write about this in the article. This is when the US and Germany signed the Treaty of Berlin for peace after the war. This was the year that the Communist Party of China was formed. This was the year that um, Coco Chanel introduced Chanel No. 5. And there's some other events that happened this year, but when you, put your, when you put yourself in the shoes of when that person started, it really puts into perspective how significant this watch is for, this, for that individual. Um, so, provenance is an interesting term and I think it's become more and more important you know, these individuals like D. Tracy or, um, or this individual, O.B. Roberts, from the Omega 2279, they weren't Paul Newman, they weren't former presidents of companies, they weren't the last emperor of China. But the little piece of history adds a story to the piece, and I think that's why um, why provenance can be such a, such a cool thing for collectors to consider when they're building a collection or doing research on pieces that, that they want to add to their collection. Um, and I think it adds a little bit of accessibility to, to watches' provenance, um, and kind of describes provenance in a different way. And I think that is why um, I think that's why it's becoming more and more important. Because um, yeah, at the end of the day, these watches tell time, but I think the stories that they hold are, are even more important. And um, I think that's exciting for any collector um, at, at any level. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as always if you wouldn't mind doing the normal podcast things of uh reading this podcast and sharing it with a friend who might be interested in watches i'd love to hear your thoughts my question for the day is what do you think about provenance can it go beyond the pieces that belong to foreign presidents and famous individuals And and do you enjoy um pieces with stories that you can track i'd love to hear your thoughts um so you can send us an email hit us up on our social media accounts We'd love to hear from you, so be sure to do that. If you are not uh, following this podcast, be sure to follow us. And with this said, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And until next time.